Hello, happy holidays, and welcome to episode 43 of the T-Set Better Health Podcast. This is your host, James Tyree, Interim Associate Director of Integrative Communication at T-Set. And I'm Dylan Jasna, T-Set Associate Director of Campaigns and Brands. Happy holidays to you and all of our listeners. And we are here today to celebrate not only the holidays, but also, and more specifically today and in the weeks to come, the 20th anniversary of the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline. The helpline has about a half million registrations in that time and has helped many thousands of Oklahomans quit tobacco for good. This month of November is a great time to discuss and really think about quitting tobacco and preserving one's health because the Great American Smokeout happens on the third Thursday of November each year. And it's an opportune time to consider the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline in particular this month because of a limited time offer for Oklahomans who register for the free service. And this offer will last only through November 30th. We'll tell you more about the Helpline special offer later in this episode. But first, let's tell you about our guests today. In this episode, we'll hear from the new director of the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline and the president and CEO of the North American Quitline Consortium. We'll also hear a compelling conversation James recently had with three of our TSET colleagues who are all former smokers, and each person shares their personal story on why and how they quit tobacco after years of use. Let's begin by meeting the new director of OTH. I am Kristen Kirchenbauer, and I am the director of the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline. We really are trying to reach any person that's 13 and older that's interested in quitting tobacco, in all forms of tobacco, really. The helpline has really enhanced the services that are available to make sure we meet the needs of Oklahomans, and that includes specialty resources for pregnant women or women who are considering getting pregnant or those that have already had a baby, We've also enhanced services for individuals that may need additional support due to behavioral or substance use concerns. We have enhanced protocols, increased benefits that we've sh- that is shown to help those individuals, which is really important. And we've also enhanced services for youth and young adults that are interested in, in tobacco, quitting tobacco, including e-cigarettes and other nicotine products. The helpline serve is really just services that are available to all Oklahomans, and we try to meet people where they are. Okay, so someone calls the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline or visits the website at okhelpline.com. Can you walk us through the registration and program process so anyone who is interested can know what to expect? Sure. The process varies depending on the way in which a person reaches out. So the helpline currently offers different ways to be connected to receive assistance. I'll go over the phone. That's typically what people think of when they think of the helpline. But if an individual calls 1-800-QUIT-NOW, they'll be connected to a quit coach. And a quit coach is someone who has specialized training to provide coaching for individuals. And they help that person work through beginning to try and quit tobacco or nicotine use. So once they start, once they call, they'll begin registering for services. So the quick coach will ask you some questions to gauge where you're at. They'll also ask some demographic questions to try and understand the things that directly impacts that individual's needs. Then that coach will work with the person to develop a quit plan. And a quit plan basically identifies what cessation medication might be needed, such as nicotine replacement therapy, 
as well as helping the person prepare to quit, like removing environmental things in their home, such as ashtrays, and also identifying triggers that might impact that person as they're trying to quit. The next option or way to get to the helpline is through digital means. So Oklahomans can register online at okhelpline.com. And at the top of this at the top of the page, it will say sign up. And you'll just click on that button. And as you work through that, they'll just ask the, the prompts will ask you general questions. You'll create a login, you'll get connected to your online dashboard, which is something that is really helpful for individuals to track their success. You can also track your nicotine replacement therapy shipments on the dashboard, your quit plan is on the dashboard, and you can also connect with a quick coach digitally through text or web chat support. So we really do offer a lot of options to get people connected to help, and we really try to expand those to meet people where they're at and what fits their needs as they try to quit. As the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline celebrates its 20th anniversary, how and why do you think it has succeeded in helping so many Oklahomans? I think the Helpline probably would not be excelling as it is and how it has for so many years if it weren't for the investments from the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust, or so-called TSET. TSET is the primary funder of the Helpline, and that funding has been instrumental for the Helpline to provide enhanced services that I just discussed. The investment has enabled the helpline to provide, you know, services to over 30,000 sometimes, you know, a year. We have a ton of people who try to register for services yearly, and we continue to be a leader in helpline services because of the financial investments that Oklahoma has made. In addition to funding, the partnership also re- partnerships also really make a difference in the success of the helpline. So we have relied on partnerships from state agencies, community partners, advocacy organizations, and and tribal nations, just to name a few of those partnerships. And our partners promote the helpline. They provide programmatic support to encourage use of the helpline from the populations that they serve and the communities in which they work in. And those partnerships and enhanced support systems that I've developed over the years have really been a key contributor to the success of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline. Another factor is our dedication to assessing and improving our support for tobacco cessation in Oklahoma. This has played a key role in the success and our ability to meet people where they are. So we really do try to evaluate our efforts to make sure that what we are doing is really working and impacting the health of Oklahomans. We use that data and evaluation efforts to make changes to services as, you know, times change, uh, get new products and new research comes out. We want to make sure that we're at the forefront. And most of the times we are because we have the ability and we use that information to implement emergent strategies to make sure that what we're doing is working. And all of November, anyone who registers can receive eight weeks of nicotine replacement therapy, including lozenges, gum, or patches, instead of the standard two weeks. I think enhancing the the amount of support and services we can give to all Oklahomans with that limited time offer has been really beneficial. It's provided the extra help that some individuals might need, especially with the nicotine replacement therapy that has been really, really helpful for individuals to get additional support. We've seen a lot of added benefits and value from just increasing it, even if it is for that limited time. So it's been very helpful. As we celebrate the Helpline's 20th year of serving Oklahomans in the weeks and months to come, 
What do you see for the helpline's future? You know, I think with change creams a great opportunity to continue to grow and adapt. What we know is that the environment is always changing. So we, as I said earlier, we really do exceed at being at the forefront of tobacco cessation efforts. And we try to be leaders in this field nationally, but we know that the environment is changing. And as new products emerge, it's deviating from what we've known in the past, that these new products are continuing to flood the market. And as these things change and how people interact and communicate and just live, essentially, we've got to be prepared to pivot to support those Oklahomans that are interested. So we have to prioritize populations that have been impacted by the tobacco, by tobacco and nicotine use at greater rates. We know that the tobacco industry has targeted specific populations for years, and we know that those populations continue to have worse health outcomes. So it's important for the helpline to tailor those services that we provide for those populations to make sure that they're getting the assistance and services that are going to be the most helpful for them. And this could include, as I've discussed earlier, you know, specialized counseling or an increase in services or some of the ways that we've addressed this in the past. But I think there's an opportunity to look at what else can be included. I think we also need to look at um, the new generation of nicotine and tobacco users. We know that youth are utilizing products now as the market has changed and the products have changed. And I think we really need to start looking at youth as well and the populations that have been targeted by the tobacco industry. That was some good information about the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline on how they serve Oklahomans and have done so well over the past 20 years. And it's good to know the Helpline will continue to innovate in its outreach and services going forward. Now, at this point, I'd like to share that in fiscal year 23, nearly 26 thousand Oklahoma tobacco users registered for helpline services, which is a 22% higher increase than fiscal year 2022. And over 96% of helpline participants reported being very, mostly, or somewhat satisfied with the services they received. And get this, over 40% of helpline participants reported not using tobacco for 30 days or more. That is an astonishing rate of success. It really is. So once again, the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline and its free services can be accessed by calling 1-800-QUIT-NOW or 1-800-784-8669 or by visiting the website at okhelpline.com. The Helpline is a tremendous TSET-funded resource for our state, but let's get a national perspective on tobacco quit lines and what makes them effective, especially here in Oklahoma. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm Michelle Lynch. I'm the current president and CEO of the North American Quitline Consortium, uh, also affectionately known as NAC. What is a consortium, or NAC, and what entities are in it? NAC was formed uh, in 2004, and it was officially incorporated as a, a nonprofit uh, in 2006, uh, really with the purpose of creating uh, a cross-sector forum for people who are interested in quit lines, working in quit lines, working on quit lines, uh, to create a space for people to come together to identify best practices, uh, to share data, 
um, really, really to continue to uh, identify how to better improve the reach and the quality of quit lines uh, and really to advance the field. And we are a membership organization that, it, that is the, fi- the foundational structure of NAC. Uh, and again, I said we're cross-sector, and so we have a variety of different types of members representing different sectors. Uh, our primary members are probably our largest cohort of members are state and territorial governments who fund quit lines across the United States and across Canada. Uh, and so the, those are typically state public health departments. Uh, TSET is, is a great example of that, of a funder of a quit line. And then we also have the quit line vendors. So these are the actual service providers in the U.S. Right now there are 11 service providers and they're all members of the consortium. We also have other independent members who may be public health uh, professionals, researchers, technology vendors, who again have interest in studying quit lines or otherwise are providing adjacent services or complementary services uh, that intersect with quit lines. Quitting tobacco can be very difficult, but it can be done in several ways. So why are quit lines like the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline an avenue to consider for people who are ready to quit. Uh, And so had a a more broad um, prevention and chronic disease management background. When I came to tobacco, I really realized um, just how powerful it it, it could be to be working, especially in tobacco treatment, to empower people, because many people who have chronic conditions or who are trying to prevent prevent health conditions, um, there can be a sense that this thing is happening to me. I always felt like with tobacco, it's something where we really can empower people to, to, to be at the center of their own health and to really make, uh, with support, to really make just immensely impactful changes that, that can better their overall health and well-being. And why I was so excited to come to NAC was that quit lines are, they're this, unta- they're, they're a national part of the public health tapestry, if you will. Not only are we reaching on average, you know, a quarter million people a year with quitline services, one out of every three people that uses a quitline self-reports that they're they're quitting successfully. So just thinking about the population health impacts of quitlines um, and, and just knowing the, the real the real benefit that quitlines can have on the health of individuals and communities just felt, felt like a space that I could not work in. What are some key similarities between quit lines across the country? Absolutely. Uh, one of the great things about quit lines and, and where NAC has really been a support uh, with members throughout the years is to identify best practices and, and, and really commonalities that we know we know what works. You know, we, we essentially we have a great foundation uh, of evidence that quit lines have been built upon over the past two decades. And so a lot of the commonalities that quit lines across the country share are, are really based on, again, what, what has been studied to know how do we reach people? How do we make sure that the treatment is effective and safe um, and, and also tailored, right? Because we more than ever, we know with, with commercial tobacco, it's not just about reaching the greatest number of people. It's trying to make sure that we're intentionally reaching the populations that maybe haven't benefited equally by all the efforts that have come to date, right? So those populations that are experiencing the most, the most harm, you know, from commercial tobacco. Uh, and so a few of the commonalities that, that I think are really exciting are, are things like, you know, almost every quit line has uh, not only a toll-free number, but quit lines are offering uh, different ways to access their services in, in ways that make sure that we are taking into account, you know, accessible 
access. So things like if people need um, you know, relay services because maybe they are deaf or hard of hearing, uh, if people need languages translated, or uh, if, if they need services translated into different languages to ensure that they can receive those services in a, in a culturally appropriate way. Um, making sure that, you know, for example, we're asking the right questions when people are first starting so that, again, we can understand their needs, uh, their, their tobacco use history, and really, again, tailor those quitline services for what, um, what is going to help them have the best um, chances of, of meeting their goals and of having positive outcomes. You know, those are, those are just a few examples. Now, you are well aware of quit lines in states throughout our nation and the great work they do for their residents. So what, from your perspective, Michelle, makes the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline stand out among them? Oklahoma is one of the most exceptional success stories in the field of tobacco treatment and cessation uh, in the country. I have a, a strong opinion on that. And they're, they're strong. It, it was built on strong foundations, uh, James. For Quitline specifically, we know that there's sort of a special sauce, you know, sustained investment in Quitlines. So we have to make sure that we are investing in services. We have to make sure that we're investing in Things like evidence-based, you know, FDA-approved cessation medications like nicotine replacement therapies, like patches and gum. We have to promote the quit line. We know mass media works. Uh, the CDC certainly is is excellent in really promoting um, and uh, really having a very strong national campaign through the Tips for Former Smokers campaign every year. But states really, um, especially states with resources, can really amplify the effects of the Tips campaign by doing their own. Um, their own local campaigns, uh, and by making sure that they're reaching, especially into the the key audiences that, again, might need the quit lines help the most. And then we know things like health systems change, you know, working with health systems and healthcare providers, social services providers, to make sure that they know about the quit line and that they're actively referring to the quit line. We know that that constellation of different strategies works uh, to make sure that the quit lines are are people are aware of it and that they're using it and getting the most out of it. The key with all of those strategies, it's the investment and something that Oklahoma has been a leader in. And I think really has, has been um, not only a success story, but really a model for other states to look at uh, really is the T-set model uh, of how, you know, funds uh, really through the trust have been um, protected through the way that the trust was set up. Uh, and the TSET model through, again, um, it's enabled TSET to have this really comprehensive approach and a team-based approach to the helpline and to managing it that really has um, been exemplary and helped the helpline to reach, to really sustain one of the highest quitline reaches um, over years nationally. Um, you know, the, the Oklahoma helpline is reaching consistently more people than any other quitline in the country. A lot has changed over the past few years with tobacco products and cessation. And yet the core issues of nicotine addiction and the tobacco industry's deceptive and profound marketing tactics remain the same. What do you think quit lines will need to do and consider in order to be successful in the future? It's a great question. The, like you said, the field has changed. It's, it, it's never a static space, but the field has changed pretty dynamically, uh, especially over the past, even the past 10 years, but over the past 20 years. Certainly one is, is just the tobacco product landscape that, of course, continues to emerge. The field has a big enemy 
in, in the tobacco industry. They're always moving fast and, and moving, it seems like a few steps ahead and they have um, endless resources to keep, to keep uh, reinventing themselves with things like electronic products, uh, even trying to circumvent states that have had strong policies around menthol, you know, circumventing certain flavor policies and retail policies. And so we always have a big enemy there. And so thinking about how the trends of how people are using tobacco, when quit lines were developed, it really was for people who smoked. And so starting to really understand how do we address dual use? How do we address emerging product use? And how can quit lines really play uh, an essential role in, in addressing other types of nicotine dependence for other products is, is really an essential and will be continue to be an essential touch point for quit lines to as, as the community to be thinking about we're already doing great work quit lines now almost all quit lines have a tailored protocol for people who use e-cigarettes including youth uh, which is great you know people uh, definitely quit lines are evolving to meet to meet those needs the digital landscape is moving so fast, uh, not only with text messaging, but with uh, AI and with bots and with different web-based interventions and, and the field just, it, it's very rapidly expanding. And again, almost all quit lines have done something in this space. We've seen almost every quit line adopt text messaging, adopt web-based interventions, but to continue to, to not only stay on top of that with how can we expand, but to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to evaluate those types of digital interventions, to understand what are the standards, what's working is going to be really critical. And especially a role that NAC will have a leadership role in is to really kind of reimagine what is digital intervention standard, you know, what does a standard intervention look like and what does it really mean to calculate how many people we're, we're really helping with that is going to be really the next frontier as well. Uh, and then the last thing that I'll say about where we're going, um, I can't not end on the, on the topic of health disparities and advancing health equity and making sure that when we're thinking about planning and messaging and service delivery and evaluation that we are incorporating to the extent that we can, uh, the user's voice and really their needs uh, at the heart of it to make sure that we're, we're truly building systems that are meeting uh, and evolving to meet uh, the new needs and and the preferences, right? And, and resonating with the people that most need it. So a lot of exciting work ahead. That was really great information. I think it's important to note from both Kristen at OTH and Michelle with the National Consortium that the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline and Quit Lines in other states continually employ best practices in reaching out to different populations and the services they deliver. As mentioned earlier, the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline has had more than 500,000 registrations over the past two decades. But now let's hear the personal stories of two people who credit the helpline with quitting tobacco plus a third former smoker who quit while living out of state. And they all work here at TSET. James recently had an interesting conversation with Thomas Larson, Lauren Ripple, and Lance Thomas. Let's listen. I am Thomas Larson. I am the Director of Public Information and Government Affairs here at TSET. My name is Lauren Ripple, and I am a Healthy Living Programs Manager. And I'm Lance Thomas. I am the Chief of Staff at TSET. It's wonderful to have you here, um, and you know, TSET people know that we are about health, improving health, uh, uh, fighting tobacco and its uh, health um, hazards and things like that. But it's good to hear that you know, 
some of us have dealt with that same struggle and that. So thank you for coming here and sharing your story with us. One thing I wanted to ask to start off with is uh, back when you were uh, using tobacco, like about how much did you smoke and for how long? I started smoking when I was 13 years old. Uh, we would sneak cigarettes out of my friend's mom's pack or the ashtray, and it just kind of progressed from there. And at my peak smoking, I was probably smoking close to a pack a day, which in retrospect is gross. <laughs> <laughs> About how long did you smoke at the time? Um, I smoked from 13 to 29. I also started around 13, 14 and, and smoked for the better part of 25 years. You know, I quit when I was uh, 38, I think. And uh, a lot of that time, it was about a pack a day, uh, sometimes even a little bit more than a pack a day. So I, I was a heavy smoker for a lot of years. All right. And I smoked for about a decade. Um, I, unlike you guys, I started uh, the summer after I graduated high school. I went to work at a convenience store on the interstate and you couldn't say, Hey guys, I'm going to go standing around in the back and do nothing for five minutes. But you could say, Hey, cover me. I'm going to go get a smoke. And then you stood around <clears throat> in the back and smoked. And we got a lot of nice swag from Joe Camel. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's what we did. But I started there and then at my peak, um, after I graduated, I smoked lightly and, through college. After I graduated college and moved into the professional workforce, I, um, I ended up going to what was a bar called the Denver Press Club. And while I was there, uh, I would be there every evening for about three hours and I'd smoke back cigarettes. Okay. Ooh, three hours. Yeah. Well, you know, you had to have something to do with your hands while you were having a Guinness and talking with war <laughs> stories with all the reporters. So, Ultimately, how did you quit tobacco? Um, actually, even before that, why did you want to stop smoking? And when you decided to do so, how challenging was it? Smoking for me was an act of rebellion against my parents. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a scientist. We had a very strict household growing up. And as I entered into adulthood, I started to have more impact from the years of smoking. And I probably had tried to quit maybe four or five times, not successfully. And it was actually a DSET commercial ad where they were showing the possible alternatives to the impact of health on like on your body from smoking besides just lung cancer. So it was people with heart attack scars, people with colostomy bags. And it was the lady who had gotten her fingers amputated that really, um, that one hit me really hard. Uh, I've played the piano since I was nine years old, and the idea of never being able to play the piano again was fairly traumatic for me. And I called the quitline literally that day and uh, went through the program, had my little smoking mentor person that uh, helped my smoking coach me. And uh, I was able to quit, and I have not smoked since then, and that was almost 11 years ago. That's fantastic. That's a good collaboration between the CDC tips campaign and then the <clears throat> Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline. Great national messaging along with the local stuff. And I'm so glad that you were able to stop. Do you still play piano? Yes. I like to pretend that I am the straight up Phantom of the Opera. So <laughs> Very <laughs> nice. good. Well, that's really good to hear. Thomas. 
Sure. You know, I would say my, my reasons for quit, quitting, uh, there were several of them. Obviously, I knew about the health effects. Uh, the financial effects also came into play. I mean, smoking a pack a day or more, it gets expensive over time. And, and there are other ways you want to use those resources. Uh, but, you know, I love I love spending time outside. I, I love I love hiking and doing being active and being outside and seeing other people who, who are, you know, say the age of my grandparents um, who, who struggle with mobility, with poor health later in life. I wanted to have as many good life years as I possibly could and, and realize that, you know, the, the biggest impediment to that was going to be my, my tobacco use and smoking. So so part of quitting for me was visualizing myself being 70, 75, 80 and still out on a hiking trail because I'm still able to do that. You know, I have yeah. I have a son uh, who, who is now a young adult and I want to have more adventures with him. I may have grandkids someday and, and I want to spend time with them and, and be healthy while I'm doing it. So, you know, all of that, uh, that was, re- was really the impetus. I did a lot of visualizing what I wanted my future to look like. Um, and, and I did use the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline when, when I quit. I, I called. I got uh, two weeks of free nicotine patches uh, and then, and then you know, added some more. Of my own. I think I did maybe eight or ten weeks of patches total fa- phasing out. But the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline sent me a great uh, brochure where I could develop my quit plan, think through uh, my strategies for dealing with stress, I signed up for for text messages, so I got these encouraging texts. Really, I think for six months or a year after my quit date, really? uh, and and the, and those were always <laughs> fun to get. Um, so really, that was not my first time trying to quit smoking. I had tried to quit many times before and not been successful. And one thing that I did was I stopped thinking of those as failures. Like I didn't fail to quit. I just learned what didn't work. So, so each one of those quit attempts was a learning opportunity. And, and then I put all of that together, learning how to deal with stress, how to avoid triggers and things like that. And, and with the helpline, was able to, to quit successfully. And I have been tobacco-free over six years now. Hey, congratulations. Thank congratulations. you. Um, with, the, with the earlier attempts to stop smoking, as you said, you learn <laughs> things. We all learn things as, as we go through these journeys and such. Um, were, were some of, of those with the, the helpline or did you try other means before the one, the final one? You know, my, my, my successful attempt six years ago, that, that was the first time I used the helpline. Really? Now, now, yes, yes. I, I had used patches, uh, previously, but there was always something. It was, you know, you... You hit a stressful patch at work and you don't have a strategy for dealing with that. So you go back to tobacco or you go out with friends who are still smoking. And, you know, after a couple of drinks, you're you're less inhibited and you're more likely to to have a cigarette then. And so learning all those little slip ups, you know, when I finally quit, it was with the helpline. I used patches. I also I quit drinking coffee and alcohol for for a few weeks uh, just because I knew both of those were also triggers. I kind of stayed back from friends who I knew used tobacco for a couple of months uh, just until I felt like I was on more solid ground. And then if I started feeling uh, stressed, I knew to get outside, take a walk, uh, do something to take my mind off of it. So it was a lot of different strategies that I employed, but the helpline was a big factor in helping me uh, bring it all together. Okay. Now, I'm not going to neglect you, Sir Lancelot, but I want to ask another follow-up question to Lauren sure. first, and that is, um, 
you know, you're smoking for a number of years, you went to the helpline, you, you were, you had the incentive to uh, stop, but even when you are ready to quit, how, how could you describe the uh, challenge of doing so? Uh, yeah, so at the time I was bartending and waiting tables to pay for grad school. And so one of the biggest complications, especially in the service industry is like Lance mentioned, um, you get that break. But then everyone in the bar and everyone in the bar is also smoking and it's it's hard to get away for rent. So it was really the hardest part about getting going was the fact of where I was working mm-hmm. <laughs> um, was really impacting it. And then once I got going, because um, I had tried patches and gum and that didn't really work. I would always backslide. And it for me, it was that quit coach that would call and talk with me and talk to me about triggers, which I had never even considered um, as something that was inciting me to go back to smoking. Yeah. That really helped me change my mental outlook on the process. So that was, uh, that was really a big, big impact for me in the process of quitting smoking. I'm so glad you had that a person to work with you to help with that. And you both mentioned text messages to keep you going and such. That's so impactful. And you remind us about the importance of, uh, you know, smoke-free workplaces. Uh, you know, people have to earn a living and such. And when you are bombarded with the smoke or, uh, or people using it, it can make it tough. Smoke-free workplaces are so, so important. It, it is so difficult to quit using tobacco if the people around you or your workplace, if, if you're around it all the time. So having that smoke-free space allows people who want to quit. It makes it possible for them to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so Lance, um, just thinking back, what prompted you to, to be ready to quit? I never considered myself to be addicted to smoking. Okay. I compartmentalized my smoking as a piece of my life. I did not smoke other than when I was very first starting at the job. When I worked in a professional environment, I did not smoke at work. I didn't smoke in my car. I didn't smoke at home. I all, but I went to a bar four nights a week or one more uh, and spent three to five hours at that bar with my friends and we drank and smoked. That's what we did. And we had wonderful conversations and it was a part of the lifestyle of being like those, what you might consider crusty old reporters who had their drink and their cigarette and they talked with a deep voice and had profound things that they were communicating every day. And I wanted to be, those were my, those were my people. And so it was easy to reinforce it, but I never really felt like, Oh, I could quit this at any time. And I just never did. But then I met somebody who I uh, am still married to. uh, And when I met her, uh, she, she didn't complain about my smoking, but her dad smoked. Mm -hmm. So she had been around it, but I don't think she really loved it. Yeah. And when we, um, a little bit further down the road decided to get married, she said, I'd like you to consider quitting. I said, easy enough. At the same time we decided because we were getting ready to get married, to get life insurance policies. And so we went and sat down because 
you know, if something happened to me or something happened to her, we want the other person to be taken care of. And our insurance agent said, do either of you smoke? And my wife said, nope. And I said, well, I mean, occasionally on the golf course, you know. And he said, okay. And he said, if you smoke, here's your premium. He slid a little piece of paper over. If you don't smoke, here's your premium. And the cost for life insurance was about double. Wow. And this is in 2001. And I said, well, I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> and before we, before we left the office, he said, okay, well, great. The only thing I need to do, and he pulled out this little pack, plastic packet, pulled out, and, and swabbed our mouths. And I got a call from him about two weeks later that said, boy, do you go to the golf course a lot? <laughs> and I said, well, I, 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 I've quit. He said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to do this test again in a year. And if it's the same, you get the smoker rate. Yeah. And I went to my bachelor party a week later, and I decided when we were done with that that I left my cigarette lighter, my cigarettes, anything I had left after we went to Vegas on the TV in the hotel room. And I walked out and just said, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And that worked for me. Yeah. That does not work for everybody, but it can work. It, it depends on how you, you know, how willing you are to just say no and to, and even when you want it. And I, and that worked for me. I'm, I, I wish I had access to the helpline. It probably would have made it easier. Um, I didn't smoke again after that just because, again, I'm a little bit cheap and I didn't want to pay the insurance. <laughs> and I, you never know when, the, when my insurance guy's going to jump out from behind a bush and, <laughs> the cotton swab. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that's how I did it. What thoughts and feelings do you have uh, now that you are former smokers and you're working here at TSA? <clears throat> you know, how does it affect your mindset when you're working? How does it affect your job? Uh, anything along those lines? Um, I, I actually mentioned that I had used the quit line in my interview and I actually think that had an impact on the hiring process for me, but I, I will say when I started working here, I just thought T-Set was just about anti-tobacco and I had no idea that it offered all these other wonderful programs that are about healthy communities, physical activity, nutrition, all things that are like important core values to me. And so I feel like for me, coming to work here after utilizing the programs is a wonderful full circle. Mm -hmm. It makes it very fulfilling. I always knew that I wanted to find a profession that allowed me to engage in like my own personal principles on health and wellness. And so getting to work here as a healthy living's program manager is amazing because every single day I'm getting to do something that I also practice at home. And that just brings me a lot of joy. It's a real privilege uh, to be at TSET and help support people uh, who are maybe trying to quit tobacco um, and just make healthier decisions generally around physical activity or nutrition. I also leaned into being a former smoker when, when I interviewed for this position. And, you know, part of my job is acting as a spokesperson for the agency. And I have also mentioned it in media interviews, in public speaking engagements, because I think it's important for people to know if, if they are struggling with a tobacco addiction and if they want to quit, you know, the people at TSET, a lot of us have been there. And, and we also have our daily health struggles. Some of us have been addicted to nicotine. 
we have been there, we've gone through it, and we know how hard it can be. So it, it's an honor for me to be able to help people make those healthy decisions day after day and, and hopefully learn just a little bit from, from my story uh, that, that can help them in, in their own journey towards better health. I, I think that my work is very fulfilling because I know that there's good that's coming out of it. Having worked in, in corporations and other types of environments, they're all based on selling something to someone. And even though I would consider the work that we do of selling behavior change, if you want to call it that, to folks, it is not the same as selling something for a profit. Because I, you know, I mean, the tobacco industry sells something for a profit, right? Right. Um, but for me, it's it's the most the the best things that I've seen since I've been here related, especially related to Helpline, is I have three friends that I can picture them. So I close my eyes that are friends of mine on Facebook who expressed that they wanted to quit tobacco, and I was able to say here are some resources, call this number. You can get resources to help. You don't have to do this by yourself. All three of them post every year on their quit date. And I also had the added credibility to say, hey, I've been where you are. I know how hard this is and I did it and you can do it. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's the kind of cool part. I, I, it's, you know, working at TSED is, is a joy because of that. One thing that you mentioned, Thomas, that I really liked was that uh, about how helpful uh, our programs are. But even in our, when folks watch our commercials, what you will never see is us say the smoker is a bad person. The smoker is doing something wrong. What we say is the smoker is a person just like the rest of us that needs a little help because they've been deceived by a true corporation that wanted to deceive them. And I, that's one of the, one of the coolest things for me is that if, is that underpinning all of our messaging is hope, not uh, shame. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I don't know how you guys feel, but, as when you're smoking and you know that it's not good for you, sometimes you feel you shame that you aren't living healthier and that can be pretty crushing and nobody needs that. I think some, some people who, who probably have good intentions and want to encourage you to quit smoking, maybe unintentionally go into shame and, and kind of shame you when, when you're smoking. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm very proud of our messaging that, that avoids shaming people for their behaviors and just understanding that, you know, that those behaviors are a part of, you know, deceptive marketing practices or they're, they're a part of a culture that sometimes makes healthy choices difficult, not just tobacco use, but eating nutritiously, getting physical activity, you know, our, our culture and lifestyles sometimes don't make that easy for people. It, it can be a challenge. And, be very sedentary. Yeah. And that, that is not the fault of the individual. So what, what we're doing is we're trying to trying to support people in making better decisions. 
I think that's what was so important about the campaign that impacted me was those were very obviously real people sharing their real stories. They weren't actors. They weren't paid to say their words. They were sharing their real scars and their real lives and their day-to-day experiences. And that is truly, I think, what touched me the most was like, I knew what they were saying was true. Like, you can't fake the things that they showed. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank each of you. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lance, for sharing your experiences and uh, for for us to have this conversation and others to, to hear um, and learn from you and be inspired by you. I very much appreciate it. Great conversations, James. And major thanks to Thomas, Lance, and Lauren for sharing their stories with us. TSET, as an organization, is dedicated to improving health and saving lives by lowering our state's rates of tobacco use and obesity. But this shows that this work also means a lot to us personally, because we are all Oklahomans trying to live the best and healthiest lives we can. If you or someone you care about is trying to quit tobacco or vape use now or want to in the coming new year, we at TSET and our grantees applaud and support your endeavor. Stick with it. It is worth the effort for your health, your finances, and your future with loved ones. And we also thank you for joining us for this episode. Remember that you can listen to this or any past episode by visiting oklahoma.gov slash tset slash podcast or anywhere you normally listen to podcasts. Have a happy and safe, healthy holidays, and we look forward to joining you again in the new year. So until next time, this is Dylan Jasda. And James Tyree, wishing you peace. And better health. <laughs>